So this morning, what I want you to do as you're standing there, would you just raise your hands above your head? Okay? Now, there's a lot of ways to interpret when, a hand, when hands go above the head. Put your hands like this. What does that mean? Raise the roof, okay. <laughs> In a church, what would it mean? Pray or worship. In a bank, what would it mean? Uh, I surrender. Okay, now do this. What does that mean? What is it? Okay, victory. Absolutely. I won. Okay, be seated. So we've been dealing these last weeks with this. We've been talking about victory. Victory is winning a struggle or a contest. And we've been talking about principles to get us to the place that we are victorious with what we face. We've been talking about, at the end of each of these, these messages we've been sharing with you, we've given you how to, how to live this stuff out, action steps. And so when I think about victory, I think about winning the contest, uh, this picture comes to my mind. Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. Some of you are too young to understand any of that, but it was an amazing fight. But you sit here today and you say, but when I think of what I am facing, I'm, I'm nothing like that. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like doing this. In fact, I've, I've been listening to the principles and I've been walking through the principles, but in reality, I, I feel more like this picture. Let's, that one. Can you see it? You feel like you're being attacked on every side. That's some poor guy who fell in cactus. You may be here this morning thinking, you know, I've, I've walked through the, the steps that you've given, and I'm not sure that I've really done it right, so you end up looking like this. <laughs> I think I've got this backwards. You may think, I'm really trying to do all of this but I'm not sure I, I'm really in control and I end up like this. If you can't tell, that car launched itself into a barn. Don't try this at home. And maybe even this morning as you are seated here, you say the real issue is that I'm so fearful because I am now face-to-face -face with my greatest fear, something like this. And what you may not be able to tell is over here on the left is his rifle. <laughs> so our cry becomes something like that of David. David who killed a bear and a lion and David who, who killed a giant and David who leads armies and David, who is king of Israel, and his cry is this. It's recorded in Psalm 86, verse 1. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and I am needy. We are poor if the harassment has become so unrelenting that we are convinced that we have no way out. 
another, another description, another term for this feeling of poor is to be brow beaten. It's to be stuck in a place where it just comes at you consistently. It's a picture of being stuck where you are bombarded with negativity until you begin to believe the negativity and begin to believe the lies. And you believe it so much that not only are you poor now because you believe that those things are true, but now you are needy because you don't believe you have any way out. There's a great story about Muhammad Ali. He, he got onto a flight and the flight attendant came to him and said, Mr. Ali, you need to put on your seatbelt. And Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she responded, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> so you're stuck in this spot and you go, you're saying, to get out of this, I got to be Superman. And, and, and I'm not Superman. It's not working for me. So we've got to come to this place right now to understand this whole victorious thing because we've shared some great principles with you. But this is more than steps to success. This is more than principles to live by. This has to be a presence to live with. And there's a big difference. So the first thing David does, and it's so uncomfortable for us, David confesses his vulnerability. It's the first step. So I asked Pam to make dinner because I'm no good at it. I asked Bill to fix my computer because I'm really no good at that. I asked Lee to come over and fix a siding on my house because it melted when I put the grill too close to the side. I'm really good at grilling steaks and siding, but I can't fix it. I'm no good at that. And David says, God, I'm no good at this thing. So I'm asking you now to hear me. The word means to, to bend down to listen. I want you to come and bend down and listen. And I want you to answer. And in the word answer there actually means I want you to not only listen to me, I believe that you will act upon what I ask you. And built within this whole conversation, and it's difficult for us to grasp this, but it's in the language, is this whole concept. It was a week ago, or a year ago, last week, that Pam and I were with friends, several friends, in Estes Park, Colorado, when one of our friends, Ruth, who's in her 70s, fell over dead. Her heart just had electrical issues, and it just stopped. Her sister died of the same thing when her sister was age 40. First, we thought she was having a seizure. Then we weren't sure what was going on. We'd call 911. We stretched her out on the floor, checked for pulse, checked for, for breathing. There didn't seem to be any. And we're getting ready to do compressions when suddenly this rookie cop comes flying in through the door, doesn't say a word, but hits the floor next to her and begins to do these really deep compressions on her, followed by these EMTs that come flying in, start doing all sorts of things, followed by a, an off-duty emergency room physician who heard it on his radio and came flying in. And suddenly, she's being shocked three times, and she comes back to life. In fact, I saw her two weeks ago, and she's at 100%. Now, catch this, we called 911 because not only did we expect them to listen, but we expected them to have the passion to show up and answer. That is built into this request, hear, O oh Lord, because I'm poor and needy. 
That when I call on you, I know that you have the passion to show up. And that is why David says, I can be vulnerable before you. You want to break loose from being stuck, and we're going to talk about some of those things we're stuck in as we approach next week, being stuck in our sin and in our failure and in the culture. We're going to talk about that. We get to the spot that we're afraid to admit to God, we're afraid to confess to God our weakness because we're afraid that God is out to punish us. Admitting weakness to God is not inviting punishment. It is inviting presence. I mean, really, do you not think that God already knows our weaknesses? You, you think you, get, you got that hidden? He, he doesn't know about your temper. He doesn't know about your viewing habits. He doesn't know about your bitterness. He knows that stuff. In fact, if we do not confess it, that stuff begins to control us until we give God a chance to confront it. But why would God want to help me? I want to show you a picture of somebody Pam and I love. His name is Xander. His real name is Alexander. They call him Xander with an X. That's Xander. He is six weeks old today, and he is the world's most gorgeous kid. <laughs> He's a typical newborn. He is loud at one end and irresponsible at the other. <laughs> and as a grandpa, I get to hold him, and when he explodes, his mother gets to hold him. Christy took parenting classes before the baby was born. She had two midwives and two doulas. But there are some things that you just can't be taught. So when I was holding him a few weeks ago, and, 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 and I got to tell you, my nickname for him, because his name is Xander, starts with the next, I call him X-Man, because he has superpowers because he can turn red in the face and suddenly clear out a room. <laughs> Either by the disbursement of toxic chemicals or by this scream. Did you know that a child, when it cries, a newborn can hit 115 decibels? That if you stay too close to that for a matter of 15 minutes, it will begin to deteriorate your hearing? What? That, that a jackhammer only puts out 105 decibels. So I had Xander, and he began to get fussy, and then he began to ramp up the crying. And Christy looked at me and said, come over here, Dad. And so we walked into the kitchen. I thought, what are we going to do in the kitchen? And she reaches over, and she turns on the hood fan as loud as it'll go. And I think, that's not going to drown out Xander. And suddenly, I get Xander close to the fan, and I don't know what the deal is, but suddenly he hears it and he just relaxes. And then I just start doing the little rock thing and he falls asleep. I walk away, he starts to cry. I go back to the fan. <laughs> he falls asleep, I walk away, he wakes up, I go back to the fan. Who knew? Mama knew. Because it is her drive, it is her passion to find what it is to bring, to bring health and comfort to that child because she is committed to that child. This one who has stolen her sleep, has stolen her social life, and has stolen her heart. 
So why would God put up with us crying all day long? The psalmist continues, he says this, preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Preserve me. And this is a really bold request. It, 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 to, to preserve means this. Oh, Lord, I want you to come and I want you to attend to me. This is a great prayer for you to pray. Lord, attend to me. Come and tend to me. It means I want you to be my life coach. I want, and actually the wording means I want you to be my hedge. And as a hedge around me, I want you to be my life coach. I want you to be my financial planner, my estate planner. I, I want you to be my bodyguard. I want you to be my best friend. Because, oh Lord, there are a lot of candidates out there, a lot, of, a lot of gods who want my attention, a lot of spiritual forces that I could give my allegiance to, but I've chosen you, and therefore I'm putting my confidence in you. So I'm asking you now to be gracious. And the word actually means to stoop down a superior to an inferior in order to show favor. I'm asking you to come give me favor. Because the deal is this, I'm going to cry out to you all day long. And the wording actually can be this, I will be accosting you all day. I will be in your face all day. I'm going to call out to you. And now here is, here is the pivot point. Here is the hinge moment for whether or not we'll be victorious. Don't miss this. He said, for I am your servant and I am godly. I am your servant actually means that I'm going to fold the, my control into your control and let you have control. I will serve you. So everything that I thought I could control, I put into your hands now asking you to take control. For I am godly, which simply means this, that I am tagged as belonging exclusively to you. It's you that I'm folding into I'm identifying with you. Nobody else, no other spiritual being, no other thing. It is you and you alone. This is it. If you want to be victorious, you got to get to the spot where you not only do this, but you do this. I surrender. I'm given in. And that takes faith. Because quite frankly, we can't trust God and have this epidemic that is just running rampant through our, through our, our culture right now, and it's called the FOMO. We can't trust God and have FOMO because FOMO was simply this, the fear of missing out. And it, it's, an actual, it's an actual phobia now, the fear of missing out. We have today, when you woke up, you had millions of options of things to do and, and things that, that could be given to you to do. I mean, if you, you could spend all day just running through your cable TV just trying to figure out what to do. There are just so many options and that is why we now have this fear of commitment, this fear of missing out, because if I commit to that, I'll miss that over there. So yeah, I, I, I know that you need help on Saturday to put the roof on your house, and I'd, I'd really like to commit to that, but what if somebody offers me tickets to the Indians game? Now I'm stuck. So I will wait to the last possible moment to try to commit to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I know it'd be great for me to, to just set aside every Sunday morning to come and worship my creator and give him a full day to honor him. But, 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 but what if it happens to be a really good day that I could sleep in? 
What, what, if it, what, if, what if the girls want to go down to Legacy Village in Cleveland and do some shopping and the Nordstrom Rack is there and you know that, that, that God wants me in Nordstrom Rack? That's, that's, that's an important thing. Yeah, but what, what, what if, if I could go golfing that morning? There's this fear of, of, of missing out. What, I, I would really like to marry you, but what if, what if I, I commit to you and suddenly I found somebody else who I have chemistry with? And God, I'd really like to just commit to you, but what if I find a really much more fun God that has less rules? It's the fear of missing out. So we've got to be able to answer this question. You've got to answer it. You've just got to answer it because it's a yes and no answer. Yes or no? If God loves us, will he not provide the best? See, the answer is important because, because it determines whether or not we're going to go with him or we're going to have this fear of missing out. I know this. It says perfect love casts out all fear. Xander knows that. When Xander feels threatened, when he feels discomfort, he cries for his mama. He say, he can say, mama, no, but when he cries, we know it's for Mama. Because he knows that there's, there's this, this one who will come who will do all that she can to alleviate his issues. Because she is committed to him. But why would God do that for me? Psalmist David says this, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. To who? <laughs> all who call upon you. David began this psalm with, with, a, with, a, with a great connection. He said, hear, O Lord. The word Lord there is a very intimate term, is actually an intimate term of covenant relationship that only the people in the family who are in covenant can use it. It is the name Yahweh. Nobody else gets to use that except family. He says, O Yahweh, Oh, covenant one, Abraham was the first one to be introduced to this, this intimate term. And he had to grow to understand how to trust that name. And it is this Yahweh who describes himself always. He describes himself, Yahweh says, I am steadfast love. Really interpreted this way. I am big in commitment. So anytime you read steadfast love, everlasting love, generally in the Psalms, it's God saying, I'm big in commitment. I'm big in commitment. I'm big in commitment. I'm big in commitment. You can trust me because I'm big in commitment. I am really so committed to you. Big in commitment. Because Yahweh made a commitment, he is unable to get out of being committed. He can't stop being committed because it is his nature to be committed because he said he's going to be committed. Therefore, he will be committed. I got on a plane and I left Xander. I left his crying and his pooping. I left him. I mean, I love him, but I left him. And so in that way, I'm not, I'm not as committed as Jesse and Christy are because they can't leave him because love won't let them. So here's my honest confession to you today. 
when I mess up, I have this tendency to believe that I've messed up so badly that, that God's going to punish me. Therefore, I save him the trouble and I punish myself. I put myself in timeout. And I'm beginning to understand now at age 59, there's a whole bunch of stuff God wanted me to enjoy, to enjoy that I didn't enjoy because I put myself in timeout. He didn't. See, I, I know about discipline from God. I know that. And I know God disciplines. I also know the whole thing about what you sow, you reap. But, but then I read this story, and I read it again in a fresh way about a month ago out of the book of Genesis about a guy named Abraham who had this connection with God where God said, I'm Yahweh, I'm going to teach you about steadfast love, that I'm big into commitment. And, and, and Abraham trying to grasp this thing and trust God because there were a whole lot of gods around him at that time, and this God was beginning to distinguish himself different from the rest, and he's trying to figure out how this all works. And it brought me to this, this, this thing. There's, there's this punctuation mark called an interrobang. Anybody know what an interrobang is? That's it. Interrobang. It's a question mark and an exclamation point at the same time. It's like, wow, what? How could that be? Wow, yeah, what? So I'm reading this, and I get to this spot in Abraham's story, and I go, wow, what? I can't figure this thing out because it's going so counter to the way that I have designed God in my mind because I have created God in my image. And God says, I'm not that way. So there's the story of Abraham where Abraham is, is following God and God's taking him to different parts of the world and God said, I'm going to, you just follow me and trust me. So they're doing this and, and on the way, Abraham says to his wife, Sarah, he says, now look, you are gorgeous. And we get into some of these countries, there are kings who collect gorgeous women. And he's going to put you in his harem. And if I marry to you, he will kill me first and take you. So when we get into these countries, you need to say, you're my sister. And she agrees. So we know that's happened twice. And both times, when the king takes her into his harem, before he can do anything to her, God afflicts the king's household, so the king says, what God is mad at me, and somehow he figures out that this woman is married to that man and that he lied. This man of God lied, putting him in dire straits, and the consequences are severe, so he gives the woman back. Now, here's the part. This is the interrobang. This just, just throws me, just, it just blows my mind. The first time, the king pays a dowry a really expensive dowry for the wife. And when he returns the woman, he gets to keep the dowry. I'm saying, God, wait, where's the justice here? The dude lied, he should give it back. You let him keep it. You gave him favor, and he lied. What's that? The second time, the king was so overwrought with a sense that he had offended a very powerful God that he gave to Abraham Slaves, cattle, and silver. And Abraham took it. And God gave him favor. And the guy lied. I said, God, what are you doing? 
This doesn't make sense. And so I'm processing this through saying, God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting this thing. This, this, you're big in commitment. How does this all work? And all I can figure out is this, that God knows us so well, that he knows our hearts so well, that he knows what's best for us. And, and he's always, now catch this, he's always looking to give us his favor. Always. Yeah, but you have no bad idea how bad I screwed up. I, I can't, I guess I gotta tell you, he's still looking to give you favor. I don't know how he does that, but he does. I think when he looked at Abraham's heart, he saw a man struggling to figure out how to let go of his control and put it in God's control. And God said, this guy still has a heart for me. And so I'm gonna take care of him because I know what's best for him. And he's not trying to manipulate me because when I try to manipulate God is usually when the discipline comes. I look at this and, and I begin to understand that no matter how broken we are, God is always good and forgiving. When, he, when Psalmist used the word good, it's actually pointing towards an extreme generosity. And in this context, it is that God is very generous in his forgiving. In fact, in this passage, forgiving is an adjective suggesting that God is not merely one who does forgive, but one who is forgiving by his very nature. He just, he just, by his nature, he wants to give us favor. So you say, oh, then we can just get away with things? No, you can't do that either. So I'm, I'm discovering this about myself, that often when I get stuck in my sin, my failure, the culture, my own struggles, it's not God who's holding me out at arm's length. It's me holding God out at arm's length because I do not understand the generosity of his forgiveness. So I've come to this conclusion, honestly, in the last two months, that no matter what, I'm going to continue to run full speed at God. You say, but what if you blew it? You're just running straight into discipline. Maybe. But I want to tell you this, that with God, even his discipline feels like love. So I'm just going to run to him and just say, here, because sometimes I feel the pain of my poor choice, and sometimes God just says, you're forgiven, and now I'm going to bless you. I, I recall vividly years ago, I just totally offended God. It was a horrible thing. I knew I did it wrong, and, and, and I was getting on an airplane, and I felt so bad, I just knew that God was going to make the plane crash. I just knew. And instead, I got in line, and a friend was up front. He said, Jack, come up here. And this was before 9-11 and all the restrictions and all that stuff. And, and, and he said, come up here. And he flies all the time. And he said to the, to the agent, hey, put this guy in first class with me because I've got the miles. And suddenly, instead of the plane crashing, I'm in first class. And so we talked a while, and finally, I just closed my eyes and said, God, what are you doing? Is the nose of the plane going down first? <laughs> and God said, I know you're sorry, and I still love you. And I just thought it would be good to show you my favor because this is the God you serve. See, something wonderful happens when you begin to become his servant and you fold your control into his, and when you say, just you, just you, you're the one I'm going to follow, just you. He knows my heart, and he knows what's best for me, and he will deal with me perfectly because that's covenant. 
You say, well, wait a minute, that, that covenant, that was Jewish covenant. That was Old Testament covenant. It was just for the Jews. Yeah, but that's why Jesus came, because he said, oh, you get the covenant too. Because John, a follower of Jesus, wrote these words. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess, show our weaknesses, our sins to him, he is faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the covenant that he's agreed to between God and Jesus. And just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, this Jesus, who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And see, you, you look at me and you say, but wait a minute, you're just saying we can go do what we want to do. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, you can't. You cannot sin because as the Scripture says, if you continue to sin, the seed of God's not even in you. So understand that this context we're dealing with, God is pursuing you, and, and the place that you got to get to is where you say, I am your servant. I'm folding my will into yours, and I am, I am I'm going to, to, to put myself into your hands, and I'm going to just clear, declare that you're the one I'm going to follow, and I'm going to do my best to get there, and God says, okay, good. And even if I blow it, sometimes he says, I'm going to discipline you, but even the discipline feels like love, and other times he just says, it's a done thing, and now let me just bless you and give you favor, because God's always looking to give us favor. So how far will his generous forgiving go? Bob Goff is an author and an attorney. He's a follower of Jesus who, although a citizen of the United States, the country of Uganda has asked him to be their representative in the United States. And there's this horrid practice in Uganda. It's child sacrifice. They believe that somehow that if you take the head of a child or drain all his blood out or remove his private parts, that that's magic. And it's usually done by a witch doctor. And over 800 kids last year disappeared. And they know that's what happened. And they have no convictions because no one's alive to be a, a witness until last year. And last year, Charlie lived. Not his real name. That's what we'll call him. That's Charlie. That's Bob Goff talking to him. So Charlie identified the witch doctor who attacked him and mutilated him. The man's name is Kabi. Kabi is evil personified. So Bob Goff, who's an attorney working with Uganda, took the man to trial and convicted him, and the man sentenced to death, and he sits in death row. First conviction. Now, the miraculous part of this story, too, is this, that, that somehow Bob Goff connected with somebody else, and there was connections made, so Bob brought Charlie over to the United States, connected him to a doctor in Southern California who said, I can fix what they mutilated. And Bob said, I have no money. He said, we'll do it absolutely free, and so... Charlie got fixed. But God wasn't done with his favor or his forgiveness. And so here's Bob with the rest of the story. The way my world works, there's terrific kids like Charlie, and then there's horrible people, people that are my enemies, like Kabi. And so I called the warden of Lazera Maximum Security Prison and I asked, could I visit with Kabi? 
And Lazira was built for 200 death row inmates. There's 3,000 men there. There's no windows. And Kabi came into the room and he took a knee and he started talking about how bad he felt about what he'd done to Charlie. And I was thinking like you, you just feel bad you got caught. And then he started talking about witchcraft and where it had taken him in his life. And then his words, not mine, he said, I know I'm gonna die in this place. You know what I need? Forgiveness. And I felt like I was talking to a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus. You know the one that Jesus said, you get paradise. And you know what, friends? I didn't want Kabi to go because he hurt my friend. But isn't it great that God's ability to forgive us isn't limited by our ability to get it? And Kabi comes to Christ. I'm like, really? Like he gets it too, a killer? Like I got an interrobang about that. But you know what? Kabi's not like me. I want to read scripture, Matthew 5. Love your enemies. She can be perfect. She can be awesome. I want to just agree. Like you want to love your enemies. I don't want to love mine. I don't want to love Kabi. But Kabi reads scripture. I meet with him every 60 days. And he reads this stuff and he actually wants to do it. And so we asked the warden a couple trips ago, could Kabi present the gospel message to all 3,000 death row inmates? I was thinking, there's no way he's going to say yes. And then Jesus shows up again, and he says yes. And so Kabi and I held hands in Lazira just before the summer, and Kabi presented the gospel of Christ to 3,000 dying men. And you know what? He screwed it up. I I was like, what? The only thing he got right was Jesus. You want to get stuff right in your leadership? Just get that, get the exclamation point after the right stuff. And and then when he was done, all these prisoners started coming at us and Kabi grabs a water bottle and he starts baptizing. I'm like, no, you can't do that. We're like, maybe, oh shoot. And then Kabi takes my hand and said, Bob, I know I'm going to die in here because of you, <laughs> but I want you to know that I forgive you. I'm like, you can't forgive me. You're the bad guy. <laughs> but Kabi's not like some of us. He knows that if I'm his enemy, he can't be awesome. He can't be perfect like his father in heaven is. And that's us, you guys. That's what we want in leadership. And so as you like launch, as we wrap up the short time that I've got, um, think of those things. Think what God has done. Land the plane. Be awesome. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Don't just like agree with Jesus. There's a great verse in Romans, and I'll end it with this. It's Romans 8. It says, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither heights nor depths, nor anything will ever, 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 like a Taylor Swift song, ever (laughs) separate us from the love of God. And it won't separate me, it won't separate coffee, and it won't separate you. God bless you guys. See, that's why we're victorious. This is God who is big in commitment. 
whose forgiveness is just so incredibly generous. So my encouragement to you now is apply that truth to you. We've given you some steps to work out on your life, to, to, to apply this, and on your notes, we call it living it out, and let me encourage you to do this. Number one, this week, admit your weakness to God. Just get honest with him. He knows. Just say, I'm just really dealing with this. Secondly, tell God you're glued to him because you've chosen him exclusively. Say, there's no place else I'm going right here. It's you. Number three, what, what don't you trust God with? What is the stuff that you're, just, you're scared to give to him? Turn control over to him by doing this. Go through the scriptures and find his character, his nature that deals with that so you can say, but well, that's what he's like so I can trust him. And then just begin to declare that in your situation. Say, God, this is who you said you were, and I need you to be this here, so I declare that you are this thing in my life right now in this place. Maybe even get a friend to join with you because there's, there's power and agreement. And then number four, even when you blow it, run back to his arms as fast as you can and expect his favor. Plant yourself in the power and the presence of Jesus. Because when it comes to us, he is hyper-committed to us. His love will not let us go. And that's why we're victorious. So would you stand? So will you take this And will you just layer it into your life? And especially if, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, would you just at this moment say, Jesus, I'm not sure how all this works out, but I'm going to start by saying that I, I want to fold my control into yours and I want to trust you exclusively. I read it to you earlier. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. Say, Jesus, I put my, my life in your hands and, and begin that journey. And I want to encourage you that if you want to walk that journey, that you just even stop at the information desk on the way out and say, because uh, we, we have a packet for you there, a gift for you, and just say, what Pastor Jack was talking about at the end of service, I'd like to have that. And then come talk to us. We've got people that will walk with you through this, because this is a journey, and we walk this journey together. And we encourage you to put your faith in Jesus right now to walk you through this. Because you're going to find that he wants to apply his favor in every facet of your life because he's that great in his love. So let me pray a blessing on you. So now may you in these next hours discover the reality of who God is. May you find the courage to trust him and may you see his great favor alive and active. Oh, and may you Come to the place that you rest in his arms, in his control, making him the one and only exclusive. I seal all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.